we are going to um, talk about a Bible story today, or a book of the Bible. I want to ask you a question as we get started. How many of you, don't raise your hands to this, just it's more of a in-your-head question, okay? How many of you, um, they're, you're okay with loving people, serving people, being good, being a good person towards others, but there's that one person. You know what I'm talking about, that one person? You're like, oh, they bring the ugly side of me out, or they, they don't bring the best of me out. Or perhaps it's um, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you try to practice what it means to be a Christ-like towards others in your conduct, and you do a good job most of the time, but there's that person or those two people, and they make it very hard. They test it. And you, you want to almost say, well, you know, I know I didn't handle that person very well, or I don't handle that person very well, but I'm good to most people. I'm good to most people, but there's them. I want to come back and talk about them before it's over today. Hang on to that. Today I want to look at a, a we want to study an entire book of the Bible. That sounds terrifying, doesn't it? Entire book of the Bible today. But um, what it's going to be, I'm going to give you a quick overview, take an unnecessary five to ten minutes of our time maybe, but I always feel we should, we should have a Bible knowledge. We should have an understanding of what the Bible is, what's in it, memorizing some of it, reading it through, and even knowing what the books of the Bible are is a great thing for us to have in our portfolio uh, because then you can find your way around. And so uh, just a brief overview of the Bible. It, just briefly, the Bible is a word that was given in the, in the Latin called ta biblia. Ta biblia, in a few centuries after Jesus was here, they assembled the sacred writings that were considered official or you know, there was a lot of debate around that for a few hundred years. And they finally came up with a, the, you know, Rome really came up with an official list of what was accepted in other places as the uh, sacred texts. And they put them into a binder of basically a collection of books. Tabiblia means the books. And uh, so the Bible has, well, at that time, it had three sections of books. There was the, the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament. There was the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, the uh, Apocryphal Writings, and the Christian Scriptures. And then centuries later, the Apocryphal Writings were taken out of most Bibles today, so they're just kind of out there somewhere. But the other two sections are still there. And so the, the books in what we call our Bible, these different writings written at different times, are major, two major sections. We call them the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Scriptures. The Hebrew Scriptures, you might know them as the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, is really the story of a nation and a nation of people and their, their legacy. Most of us normally wouldn't care about a, na a, na a nation's history and laws and, and uh, famous people outside of our own. Most people in Cambodia today don't, might not care about U.S. history, for example. The reason we care about Hebrew history or Jewish history is because Jesus was prophet to come and he came in the Jewish lineage and, and became the savior of the world. And so his backstory and the prophecies that impact that are very impactful to us. So the Hebrew scriptures have endured not just to the Jewish people, but to many Jesus followers as Christians. We also value them as well. So that's the Old Covenant, Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Then you have the Christian Scriptures, which is the story of Jesus and the, him starting the church and the, the church movement that was founded in his name, spreading the good news from that point on. We'll get to that in just a moment here. These two sets of books make up a combined 66 books within them. 39 of those books are in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
27 of the books are in the Christian scriptures. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them today, but I do want to tell you, I want to kind of just take a few minutes to overview what are the 27 books of the Christian scriptures or the New Covenant, New Testament. And um, I memorized them as a kid, some of us. I asked this last hour, how many of you ever memorized the books of the Bible to like a little tune or a song when you were younger? Anybody at all? Okay, a few of us did. A lot of us in the first hour did. So you kind of get to know them by heart. I'm not going to sing it for you. It would ruin the spirit of the service. But uh, you, it's good to memorize these things. There are 27 books within the Christian scriptures or the New Covenant. And the first four are called the Gospels. We call them the Gospels. The word gospel means good news. It's the, it's the stories of the life of Jesus. And so they're called the good news because he is the good news. And as you read these four accounts of Jesus' life, you have them written by four people. Matthew, who was one of his disciples, who was a guy, guy who was in the tax, tax business and was educated and later on would pen the story of the life of Jesus. Mark, Mark, we believe, was someone who did the, the pen work for Peter's story of the life of Jesus. Peter was unlearned, uneducated fisherman in his background. And, um, but, he, but he was a great preacher, bold for Christ. And he would t- talk to the stories, and Mark recorded those stories of the life of Jesus. Luke was the, a doc, former physician turned historian, turned companion to Paul, the apostle, who wrote a couple books of the Bible, including an account of the life of Jesus. And then John was another disciple of Jesus, a very close one, the youngest of the disciples, who also wrote an account of the life of Jesus. And these four stories, these four accounts of Jesus' life, Life, begin our Christian scriptures. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The fifth book in the New Testament is Acts. Acts is basically the history of the early church. It begins the where the Gospels left off, where Jesus um, had died and risen again, hung around for 40 days to appear to many people and talk. And then as he ascended back to heaven, he gave his followers instructions to go spread the good news and be witnesses for him everywhere. And as he left, the early church, uh, people, they began to meet. The believers prayed. The Spirit of God came, and, and uh, people became, became believers. The first church of, uh, Christian church was started in Jerusalem. And then from there, it spread through missionary work like Paul all over the, the uh, countries around them. And here we are 2,000 years later today, still worshiping on the other side of the globe, worshiping our Savior uh, still today. But um, it all kind of began with the history that you see in the book of Acts of the early church and of the missionary work they did. After that, you have a bunch of letters. We call them epistles in the old days because that's a fancy word, epistles. It means letters. And there was a lot of letters written to churches or to people. And here's what some of them were. Some of them were Paul's letters to churches. Paul himself was a missionary, and he was a a very educated man, and he wrote a lot. A lot of folks weren't educated, but Paul wrote a lot of letters to the churches that he would start, uh, basically the groups of people who became believers and would form a body of believers wherever they were. Paul would write letters to them. And we have his letters to the church in the Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians were letters that Paul wrote. Then Paul also wrote some letters to individuals also, and those letters were, to, were 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And these letters were not to churches, but to people. And, and all of these people were church leaders, actually. In fact, Timothy and Titus were called the pastoral epistles, and Philemon was also a church leader. And uh, Paul wrote these to individuals. 
So you have Paul's epistles to churches, Paul's epistles to, le- to individuals, and then you have uh, other general letters or general epistles by other people besides Paul, or not named Paul. You have James, the half-brother of Jesus. Peter wrote two, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, later in life wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, which is apocalyptic, you know, uh, end times literature in, in many ways. And then in Jude, that was another half-brother of Jesus who wrote a letter called the book of Jude. And that's all of them except for one I skipped, which is Hebrews. And the reason I put Hebrews separate is because there's a lot of debate about who the author of Hebrews was, and some people love to debate, and so they can debate about this all day long. It's one of those good, actually, church discussions for people to have. But um, Hebrews, many people believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, Others believe that Paul could not have written Hebrews. Some believe it was Luke, the one who traveled with him and was educated uh, in his history and, and penned Hebrews. Some people believe it was Priscilla and Aquila for good reason. Another, another conversation for a different day. Some people believe Apollos wrote it. We don't know because no one signed it. But it's, a, it's the other book in the Christian scriptures called Hebrews. And today we're going to study one of those books. That was just a little freebie. I didn't even, I'm not going to charge you for all that. That was just a little freebie overview of, uh, of, of, uh, of, the, New Te- of, Christian, uh, of the Christian scriptures. Now, um, we're going to study one of those books in its entire today. We are going to read an entire book of the Bible today, all of it. It is Paul's letter to an individual named Philemon. Philemon. Now, Philemon is Paul's shortest letter. So if you're feeling better that we're going to read a whole letter, it's the shortest letter that Paul wrote. In fact, if you read how we have chapters and verses within the Bible, we people added the chapters and verses later. When, when Paul was writing his letters, he didn't write chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 5. You know, That was something we added later to reference where to find different things inside those letters. But as Philemon is divided into an entire one chapter, that's it. It's that short. But we're going to read it today, and hopefully you'll leave here with a little more Bible literacy and knowledge about something, but also we'll talk about that question I asked you at the beginning of our time today. Let's begin the letter together, Philemon verse number 1. Ready? This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. Paul often found himself in prison. Now, this is important to understand because... um, In this particular context, um, Paul was not always in a dungeon. When we picture, you know, Paul in prison, we might picture some kind of a dungeon with chains. There were times when Paul was in a dungeon. Like in Philippi, he was in chains, he had been beaten. And probably at the very end of his life, before he was executed, after he was condemned to death by Nero, he was probably put back in another dungeon for a while. But a lot of Paul's time in prison, he was kind of under house arrest. House arrest. And, and there he would have the freedom that people could come and visit him. They can leave. He had guards assigned to make sure he was there. But he had a lot of freedom to write and to correspond. And so Paul is probably in this context here. He's writing from house arrest, so to speak. He's being kept in, but he has freedom. He's not in the dungeon, so to speak, in this context. And he's writing this letter. And he says it's from him and it's from Timothy. Now, Timothy was one of his uh, he, Paul had led Timothy to Christ, or at least you know, developed his faith. Timothy looked to Paul as a mentor, and Timothy would lead the church at Ephesus. But Paul would work with Timothy, and in this letter, he's telling Philemon, this letter's from both me and Timothy. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean one of two things. It could mean 
that, that he was just saying, Timothy's not here, but him and I have discussed what I'm writing to you about, and so the message is from both of us. Or it could and more probably meant that Timothy was the one there with Paul at the time, writing the letter with his own hand, because Paul didn't do much of his own writing. Paul had bad eyesight. He had to write really large letters, and you know everyone didn't have, you know, Apple, Max, and stuff back then. And, and Paul had other people dictate, write his letters as he dictated them. So Timothy may have been there at the time writing down the letter from him and Paul to Philemon. Now Philemon, before I go any further, Philemon lived in the city of Colossae. And Paul also wrote a letter to the city of the churches of Colossae called the Book of Colossians. And so it's very likely that Paul wrote those letters as he went along, added to them as he had more. And at some point, he had this letter for the Colossians and this letter he writes to Philemon. He probably sent them to them at the same time. So if you're in the church in Colossae, all of a sudden, here comes um, some mail. You've got mail. Here comes the mail. And here, what is it? It's um, a letter to the churches, the church there and a letter to Philemon himself. It's like, oh, I got a special letter just for me. And Paul's writing to Philemon with Timothy, and that's what we're reading about right now. He says, I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister. Now, I'm going I'm to butcher the next two names. I meant to study. Sometimes I go to, you know, different places, and I try to find the correct phonetics. And i, I got to confess, I meant to do it this week for these two names, and I did not. And so we can debate that later. But Aphia or Aphia, his sister, Aphia, and also to our fellow, he says, I'm writing to our sister Aphia and to our fellow soldier Archippus, or Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. Now, I want to break that down for you just a little bit. First of all, most people, Aphia could have been a, uh, Aphia could have been a lady who was a leader in the church, but in this context, we believe that she was Philemon's wife. We believe she was Philemon's wife, and that Archippus was probably their son. Could have been a young boy, could have been a teenager, could have been an adult. But Paul's like, I'm writing to Philemon, my beloved partner in ministry. I'm writing to his, his, our, our sister in the faith, his wife, and to their, our fellow soldier, uh, Archippus, their son. And to the church that meets in your, your family's house, your house. Now, this is, a, this is a church, and remember something about churches that's so important to understand that as Paul uh, traveled around, the early church was just forming, and they didn't have buildings, they didn't have facilities, in Jerusalem, the, the Christians there, once they became believers, could go to the temple and could meet in Herod's courtyard for free as Jewish people, but they also would meet house to house on top of that, besides their temple courtyard gatherings. And then as the gospel was being spread through missionary work, they would go to the local synagogues and would spread the message of Jesus. And the Jews who controlled the synagogues, if they would become believers, that synagogue could be a place where the Christians met for worship. But oftentimes the Jewish community did not receive Christ or the, the leaders of the synagogue did not convert and they would not allow the Christian believers to use the synagogue. And so the believers in those cities would meet in houses for a while. Now, if you know your church history or archaeology, you'll see that in those times, as they grew and bigger and bigger, they built local churches. Some of the, some of the ruins and places of those churches are still around to this day. They would get bigger and more people. They would actually have the means to build a building so they can gather in something that was bigger than a house because, as you mentioned earlier, Ron, sometimes people without grow and you get bigger than you can meet in one house. And so they get a building together to do the same thing in a bigger space. And so as we have the story of the churches growing, this is a church that's meeting in a house still. It's big, a small enough church or a big enough house 
for, for Philemon and his family to host them. Was Philemon the pastor or the shepherd? Maybe. Maybe he was just the host, like a small group hosting a group in their house. But either he was the leader or he was the host of this gathering, this church in his house. Okay? Now, I've got to go, keep moving here because we'll be here all day and you want to go eat Frank's barbecue, don't you? So, verse 3, Paul says this. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. This was a very common greeting for Paul to make when he wrote his letter. Grace and peace. What, what happens next in the letter is Paul is going to heap praise compliments and praise on Philemon. And Paul was not blowing smoke. Paul was genuine. He, he never, you read Paul's letters, he was just brutally honest. He didn't ever sugarcoat things. But he genuinely was impressed with Philemon. And I want you to see what he says in, in praise of who Philemon was, starting with verse four. Paul says, I thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. Why? Why do you thank God when you pray for him, Paul? Here's why, verse 5. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I cannot move past this without taking a few minutes to talk about the power and importance of that verse. That verse excites me because it is a nutshell, condensed explanation of Christianity at its core. This is the Christian message right here. And I've taught this before. I've said this before in past sermons. I don't have time to belabor it too long here. But the Christian scriptures teach, the Christian message is simply this. To believe that God loves you and then to go out and love others the way that God loves you. It's faith in God and then following him in his, his example. That's, that's it. It's faith in God that he is there and that he cares. It's the gospel that Jesus came and showed us the love of God through his sacrifice for our sins and you put your faith and trust in God's atonement for our sins and his love for us, his sacrifice for us. And as you receive that good news, that love, as you put your faith in the Lord, you then follow him by doing what he modeled and what he taught, following his example. And that's the entire Christian message. We can talk about the the. Hebrew scriptures and their central teaching that Jesus summarized, but, but Jesus and Paul and James and John were very clear that Christianity is about believing that God loves you, accepting, receiving his love, his grace, and then turning around and following him by loving others the same way. And Paul says, Philemon, you've got it figured out. I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Verse number six, he says, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So that right there is just teasing out the same idea a little bit more. In other words, as you, in your faith, understand what God's done for you and you experience all that goodness, what comes from that is your generosity. You put it into action. That's what, that's what it's supposed to look like in, the, in, in, in Christianity, folks. When we don't demean Christianity to just another religion where we, you know, there's so much of that today. You know, so much Christianity is about not being basking in the good news of the gospel, but all the bad news of the world. We have become conformed to this world. We have experienced the things of this world so much. 
you know a good example would be, and I don't, I don't have time to do this today, but here goes uh, for a minute. It's, it's a good time. It's, a, it's politics week, right? Voting's coming up here next week, right? It's a good example of Christians who've, who've gotten caught in the nuance of the things of this world and all worked up and so consumed that we backbite and we criticize and we condescend on people we don't agree with and we insult and we're just, we're so horrible in how we share our views and how we treat people that we don't agree with because we're consumed with this world. We're conformed to it. And Paul was like, I want you to be so consumed with the gospel, so overcome by your, God's goodness to you and, and your, as you understand and experience faith, what God has done for you, that coming out of that will be action. Action will come from that. Faith leads to works. And generosity, because God's been generous to you, you'll be generous. Because God's been good to you, you'll be good. Because God's given to you, you'll give. Because God's been kind, you'll be kind. Because God's forgiven, you'll forgive. You will let it come out of you the way that God gave it to you. That's a big idea right there. Verse number seven, he says, Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now, at this point in the letter, Paul is going to pivot and this is where we get to the meat of the story. There's usually a reason why you write a letter. If you, who writes letters anymore, right? Or type a letter, or send an email. Uh, there's a reason why you're writing something. And Paul's about to get to the reason as to why he's writing this letter. And it wasn't only to say how awesome Philemon was. He had a hard request. He was about to make a very hard ask. I want to tell you about it before I read it because if you start reading it without knowing the backstory, it won't make sense for a few verses. So here's the backstory. Philemon was a well-off man. Obviously, he had a family, had enough means to have a house big enough to host the church gathering there in his house. And Philemon also had servants or slaves. And one of his servants or slaves was a man named Onesimus. Now, when we use the word slave, you have to remember that it's a different world now than it was then. Um, we always think of chattel slavery like we had in early American history, which is the most cruel and horrible form of slavery. But, but slavery sometimes, both in our own nation's history, in certain cases towards more European settlers, as well as in ancient history, slavery was sometimes more like an indentured servanthood. Or, for example, uh, someone could come in and say, I'm poor, I don't have a chance to get ahead in life, but someone could take them and, and they could work for them as a, considered a slave or a servant. And at the end of a fulfilled time, that person would not only feed them and shelter them while they served them, but when they were done with their contract, would give them the means to go start their own life and, um, you know, have a head start on, you know, making a better future for themselves. Um, another form of, of slavery was through debtor's prison. People would get into debt. They could be put to pr in prison for their debts. And someone could come along and pay someone's debt off and basically buy the rights to that person. The person would come and then work their debt off to that person until it was paid. So what kind of a slave Onesimus was to Philemon? I don't know. Philemon's a man of means. And Onesimus was called his slave or his indentured servant or something. Now, Onesimus, at some point, we understand, did wrong to Philemon. What exactly we did, we're not positive what it was because Paul doesn't say. It looks like he stole from him money or goods or something maybe. Or he just didn't finish out his contract. Philemon was good to cover his debt, but Onesimus ran off and shortchanged him on the, what he owed him for work. Or 
you know, mess up a business ordeal, but somehow Onesimus did something and it hurt Philemon financially. It hurt his family and it was a betrayal. He betrayed and did wrong against Philemon who had done him a favor and, and given him this opportunity to work for him. And Philemon was upset and hurt by it, understandably. You would be, so don't read the Bible and think these people were all, oh, I'm sanctified. You know, we get upset when someone sticks it to us and Philemon sure did wrong, got treated wrong by Onesimus. And so Paul, Onesimus, ran away from, from Colossae. And apparently, he ends up where Paul is at in prison. Was he also in prison? It could have been. But Paul was probably under more of a house arrest, which means he wasn't like, going to be in the same house under arrest, which means Onesimus probably came to Paul and said, Paul, I'm here to visit you while you're locked up. Paul uses the word, I'm in chains. doesn't mean literally in chains. He means I don't have my freedom. And Phonesus came to him and probably visited him. And Paul um, talked with him. Maybe he wanted help because he knew he was in trouble. And along the time, Paul would lead Onesimus to faith. Onesimus was not a believer. But Paul converted Onesimus to Christianity. And Onesimus received Jesus Christ as his Savior and Paul felt like a spiritual father to him. And now he wants to send Onesimus back to Colossae, back to Philemon, whom he wronged, and try to make things right. And that is never easy, as we all know. So Paul's writing this letter, and he brags on Philemon for being a good Christian man. But now he's going to make the hard request. And by the way, he's probably sending this letter back to Philemon and to the church, the, the church of Colossians. He's probably sending these letters back with Onesimus. Can you imagine that? Here comes Onesimus showing up. Like, who's here? Onesimus. And what do you, a letter from Paul? How, you, you've been with Paul? He hands him the letter. And then Philemon opens up his personal letter. And Paul's going to address this very situation about Onesimus. How, how would that be? Can you picture being in that situation? Well, here's what Paul says in verse 8. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. You ever have those kind of requests? Paul's like, I'm going to boldly ask a favor, a favor of you. I could demand it because it's the right thing to do, but I'm just asking. It's like, oh, okay, I feel the weight of that ask. You ever have someone do that to you? I'm not telling you you have to. I'm asking you to. It's the right thing to do. But I'm asking. Smile. Here's Paul, you know, I'm going to ask you a favor. I could demand it because it's right, but I'm just asking. He goes on in verse 9 to say, um, because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Again, he just said it's the right thing to do. But I'm just asking. We, we, we're friends. Paul was a spiritual father to Philemon, just like he was now to Onesimus. He had brought the gospel to both of these men. And Paul says, Philemon, I'm asking you. Consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Verse number 10, here's the request. Here comes. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while, he, while here in prison. Paul says, while I was here, Onesimus came in my orbit, again, one way or the other. Some could be a couple of ways, but Onesimus was here. And he, he became a believer, and I'm like a father in the faith. And I'm writing you this letter on behalf of Onesimus. Can you imagine Philemon reading the letter? Oh, that's what Paul's getting to. 
Well, that's where this is going. I wonder if Onesimus is still standing there. Here's the letter. Paul's reading, you know, Philemon's reading it. Oh, <laughs> hi. Or did Onesimus go off to the other room or some other place? Take a walk around the block, find a Starbucks. I don't know. But at some point, Paul's reading this letter and, and, and Philemon's reading this letter and Paul says, I want you to show kindness to Onesimus. Verse 11 Onesimus has not been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. Now, there's a play on words going on here that you might not know about, so I want to tell you. Onesimus' name meant something. A lot of times in ancient culture and Jewish culture and other, even more recently in modern culture, some people are given names because their name has a special meaning. It means something. How many of you, your parents gave you the name you have because it's got an intentional meaning to it? It's a very intentional name, okay? I don't have that luxury. Arlen, I asked my dad at one time, why did you name me Arlen? And he said, eh, I didn't know how to spell dork. That's what he told me. He's a great guy. But anyhow, um, and names sometimes mean something. And in this case, Onesimus is a name that means useful. And Paul is playing on the words here. He says, to, he says to Philemon, Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. But now he's very useful to both of us. To both of us. And Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. And with him comes my own heart. Verse 13, I wanted to keep him here with me while I was in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. In other words, Paul said, while I'm a prisoner here, while I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't have my freedom, I would have liked to have kept Onesimus with me because he's good to have around. But, and by the way, by, by the way, Philemon, if I kept Onesimus with me, he came from where you were, so it would be kind of like you are helping me through Onesimus. So I was going to keep him here. I wanted to do that. Verse 14, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. This is a big idea. If you were here a couple weeks ago when, when Debbie preached, she talked about giving, and that's how we're supposed to give. That God teaches us to give, how we're commanded to give. But he also says um, he wants us to give willingly, cheerfully. And that's what Paul is doing, the same idea. This is the right thing to do, Philemon, but I don't want to force it on you. I want you to choose it. I want you to be willing, so I'm asking you to do the right thing. It's up to you. And so I, I wanted to keep him here, but he needed to make things right with you, and you need to be on board, or we can't do this. Verse 15, Paul says, It seems... It seems that you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. What does that mean? What is he saying there? In other words, when Onesimus left Colossae, left your life, took advantage of you, wronged you, hurt you, not only did you lose his proximity, but you lost the relationship. But it turns out that he came to me and he came, became a believer and now the purpose of you losing him and his relationship may have been for a greater good, that God uses all things together for good. And now he's bringing them back to you as a brother in Christ. It's powerful. He says, verse number 16, he is no longer like a slave to you. 
He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. And now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. In other words, don't just see him as the servant or the slave or this person who owes you, how, and he owes a debt to you now, and he's wronged you. Look at him as a man, and look at him as a brother in Christ. In verse 17, he's going to get down to the hard part. This is going to get hard here. He says, so... If you consider me your partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. Now, let's just be real for a minute. That's going to be a hard request. I might be able to say, okay, fine, come on back, Onesimus. I might even have a good attitude about it. But to welcome him the same way I'd welcome Paul, Philemon must be thinking, you know what I'm talking about. There are people that if they popped in to visit you, you, you would be at different degrees of excited to see them, and you would go out of your ways in different levels to, to, to host different kinds of people in the world. Okay? And, and, and Philemon's like, if Paul came to me, that's Paul who taught me the gospel, I would, we, would, we would pull out the red carpet, and I would love to see him. And Paul says, you welcome Onesimus when he comes back the same way you'd welcome me. Oh, that's hard. That's tricky. And then Paul adds to that in verse 18. If he has wronged you in any, or in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. In other words, he does owe you. He does owe you. We know that. But if he owes you anything, not, I mean, allegedly, you know, I'm not there. If he owes you anything, charge it to me. Put it on my tab, Paul says. I will pick up the bill he owes you. Figure out what he owes you, charge it to me. And then Paul does something very unusual. And if you, again, I don't know if you care about this stuff, but if you want to just think of an unusual moment here, Paul does something very unusual. He takes the pen out of the hand of the person who's, because Paul didn't write his own letters very much because of his, he didn't do it sometimes, but not very often. But someone's writing this letter. Paul takes the pen in his own hand. And writes in really large letters the next statement. In verse 19, Paul says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. So it's like he wanted to make sure that no one wondered if the guy who transcribed his words wrong or misunderstood what he meant to say. So he's like, let me write this myself so that they'll know it's from me. I, Paul, write this. All big, you know, Paul words. Kind of like, you know, I, I picture this. It's like Paul was the original person to use all caps lock. Have you ever done that before? Someone sends you a text or an email, and um, they, um, as you open that um, text or that uh, email, or you read that Facebook post and it's all caps lock, and you're like, oh, are they angry? You're like, stop yelling at me. You know, turn the caps lock off. Here's Paul. I'm writing this in my own hands. I will repay his debt. And then he adds this to it. And I will mention to you, I will mention that you owe me your very soul. <laughs> oh, Paul, man, he's really messing, isn't he? He's like, I'm asking a favor, but you know it's the right thing to do, but I'm just asking. If he owes you a debt, charge it to me, I'll repay it, but you owe me your very soul, but, but that's okay, I'll, you know, we'll square up. But you know what Paul's doing here? Paul's saying, if you want to talk about someone owing you, then consider what Onesimus owes you as a debt that you're charging to me, and then ask yourself, do you owe me anything? And let's square up. It's powerful. And Paul says in verse 20, Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. 
And then Paul shifts once again to encouragement. Verse 21, he says, I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. In other words, Paul was, saying, Paul was, not, Paul was not a liar. Paul was not a sugarcoating anything. Paul was saying, oh, Philemon, I know you. And I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to write this letter. Why was he hesitant? Can you imagine? You know this was a big deal. If this was a small request, Paul would have no problem asking. Paul's been walking on eggshells. He's like, I'm asking you, but it's the right thing to do, but I'm asking you. Charge it to me. I'll pay if you need it. Have it paid, but you owe me, but that's okay. I'll pay it. Paul's walking this fine line because apparently it was a pretty big deal. You know what it's like to, have be, to be hurt by somebody in a pretty major way. Paul felt wronged. I'm sorry, Philemon felt wronged by Onesimus, and Paul was saying, look, I'm writing to you to make things right. And he says, I trust you, Philemon, though. You're a good man. You're going to do what I ask you to do, and you're going to go above and beyond. You'll do even more. Then, he adds this in verse 22. One more thing. I pre Please prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that God will let, answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. I hope to be set free. And then Paul ends the last couple of verses with this typical type of conclusion. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, uh, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. And then he says in verse 25, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And just now, on this Sunday morning, you all just read an entire book of the, New Testament, of the, of the Christian scriptures. You just read an entire letter. There's like a special degree for you. We're going to give you certificates later on. Not really, because I'm too cheap. But no, we're going to, you just got a whole, you just read an entire letter of Paul's just now, uh, today, with me. As we wrap this thing up, here's what I want us to think about. Who is our Onesimus? Mm. That's a real nice story for Philemon, but who is our Onesimus? Before Paul brought that up, Paul reminded Philemon that you're a good Christian man. You've got faith that God loves you, and you love others the same way. And it's a reminder to you and me of our role as recipients of the good news and as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to have faith in his love, and we are to love others in return. We are to believe, and we are to follow his, his example and what he taught us and what he modeled for us. And I want to say this to you as we get ready to land this plane here. There's a difference between living in the gospel and living out the gospel. A lot of people like to come into church and try to live in the gospel. We want to sing the songs about God's goodness to me, God's grace to me. He is with me. I'm not alone. He loves me. He, I can boldly approach his throne. God's been a way maker for me. I want the grace for me. I want to talk about God's forgiveness for me because I want and need that. I want his mercy but then when it comes to living out the gospel, that's a little harder because there are a bunch of jerks out there. You don't know what they did, you know. It's hard, right? I don't want to forgive. I don't want to be kind. I don't want to offer grace. If grace is something that we believe is there for our benefit but not for anyone else's benefit or our benefit from God but not something that we're supposed to portray through Christ to others, we've missed the message. If we believe that forgiveness is an idea that benefits me when I need it, but it's not for me to be extended to anybody else because I don't want to, we've missed the point. That the faith that we have in Christ to be so consuming to us that we pass it on. We should never act like grace or forgiveness should be easy for me because I'm pretty likable, but it's impossible for that jerk in my life that I can never get 
could never forgive. And I know how easy it is to say, Arlen, you don't understand. Someone really, really wronged me. And I get that, and there's nuance, but let me say this to you. We all really, really wronged our Savior. We're all sinners. Don't ever think that our forgiveness was easy. It was light and trivial. The cross of Jesus Christ should show us. The the bloody cross of Jesus Christ should show us how significant and impactful our sinfulness was. But God loves us. He wants to pay our debt. He doesn't want you to pay. He doesn't want me to pay. So he paid for us. He wants us back. He loves us. He wants relationship restored. And it was hard. And it's it's always easy. And we do this all the time. It should be easy for for anyone to forgive me, including God, because I'm I'm a good person deep inside. But but others are... But it's always hard. Forgiveness is always hard for us and from us. And let's not just live in the gospel. Let's live out the gospel. Let's not just sing about grace. Let's show grace. Let's not just sing about mercy. Let's show mercy. That's hard, but that's big. That's what Paul was saying to Philemon. Paul says, Philemon, you're good at this. You're good at this, but now I'm going to make it personal. You're good to everybody else. Now also be good to Onesimus. Oh, Onesimus, not him. Paul says, yes, him. Who is your Onesimus? And I'm probably for some of you, there's someone in your mind today as I talk about this. There's someone in your mind that you have a grudge against, that you have bad feelings towards, that you have something wrong towards them. And who is that person? And you say, well, Arlen, I don't think forgiveness doesn't mean X, Y, and Z. Whenever I hear a cliche or a meme on Facebook or some other place, forgiveness does not mean X, Y, and Z, I'm usually like, yeah, you're probably right. But I always want to ask them, what does forgiveness mean? Because usually those kind of statements are just someone's cop-out way of saying, I don't really have to forgive because it doesn't mean something. So therefore, the whole argument is somewhat invalid because it's misused, so I'm exempt from dealing with my own junk. So what does it mean? For Jesus, it meant restoring us. It meant saving us. It meant bringing us back. And that is not always possible. And again, in the story that we're reading about, remember this. Onesimus wanted the relationship restored. He was apologetic. He came back in debt to Philemon. He couldn't pay the debt. He couldn't undo what he had done, but he wanted restoration. Here's my question. I know some people don't want restoration, but if someone comes to you and says, hey, I can't undo what I did, but I, I, I want to make things right, do we hold grudges? Do we say you could never undo what you did? Or do we have the capacity to say, I can do that? You say, how do you do that? You don't live under the weight of what someone did to you. You live under the weight of the gospel of what Jesus did for you. And you're so overwhelmed by your grace and your forgiveness from God that you're saying, it's easy. I can pass it on. Don't just live in the gospel. Let's live out the gospel. Today, as we wrap this up, maybe the step that someone needs to take in this room is you need to receive God's love for you today. If you've never received the gospel, I can't tell you how to find grace for other people if you've not received it for yourself first. In the seat back in front of you, there's three cards. The back card mentions um, the gospel. You can read that over. You can read it over and you can uh, see what it says. And there's even a sample prayer you can pray. Today, would you receive God's grace for you? Would you receive God's love for you today? Would you, in this quiet time, pray a simple prayer and receive salvation as a gift from God and his love for you. If you've already done so, if you've already done exactly that, I know there's the distractions, but give me your attention just a minute longer, please. If you've already done just that, would you pass it on? 
would you pass it on to somebody else? Even those who make it difficult for you to do so. Because here's the thing. The gospel becomes real when it changes how we treat real people. Right? It becomes real when it changes how we treat real people. Because until then, I think this is why some Christians get lost in their faith. They're just wandering around and it just feels, doesn't feel real anymore. You know how to make it real? You say, how do I make my faith vibrant and real again? Go practice treating real people right from grace and mercy and kindness and sacrifice and giving and generosity and forgiveness. And when you do all that and realize how that is, you come back to God and say, God, that's what you've done for me. That's pretty incredible and I am pretty grateful. And the gospel becomes real and it changes how we treat real people. But today, you gotta receive it for yourself. And then don't just live in the gospel. Let's live out the gospel as well.